Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, the executive director of the Huckleberry House in Columbus will talk about how it helps youth in the area. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend has reaction from Ohio leaders about the indictment of former President Donald Trump, information about Ohio's new voter ID law, and a look at Ohio's new distracted driving law. In the second half hour, I'll talk about the importance of blood donations with somebody from the Versity Blood Center of Ohio, and then I'll talk with a man who received a heart transplant at the OSU Wexner Medical Center. First up on Columbus Perspective, 3,000 young people ages 14 to 24 will experience homelessness in Columbus this year. Another 4,000 will be at risk of homelessness, unsure of where they'll sleep on any given night. Huckleberry House shelters, supports, and helps guide these youth and is holding its annual Sleep Out on Friday. That's an event to raise awareness and raise funds. Here's Kate Burdett. I'm joined this week by Sonia Thiesing. She is the executive director of Huckleberry House in Columbus. Hi, Sonia. Thanks for being here. Hi, Kate. It's great to be here. Now, Huckleberry House, not everyone may know what it is that you do. Can you tell us kind of a brief overview of of the services that Huckleberry House provides for young people in Columbus? Sure. Well, with hope, we shelter, support, and guide youth navigating challenges. And our vision is thriving youth no matter their journey. Um, We were founded in 1970 as a runaway shelter um, in the campus area. And we are now, we have been since 1975, um, in a big house in the middle of Wineland Park where we are the only teen shelter for 12 to 17 year olds in the entire central Ohio region. Um, But we also have a transitional living program that serves about 113 18 to 24 year olds in furnished apartments um, for an 18 month program that gets them ready to live independently in housing of their own. Uh, We also have a counseling program and a youth outreach team that uh, is helping youth just out in the community connect with the resources they need, including housing. Wow, that is a lot to undertake, and I would imagine as much as we would like to see the need for your services go away, it just keeps growing, doesn't it? It does. Um, Here in Columbus, we estimates estimates have us at about 3,000 young people ages 12 to 24 experiencing homelessness at some point during the year. Um, Nationwide, um, it's about 1 in 10 out of 18 to 24-year-olds in the country experiencing unstable housing at some point during a year. Um, And when you look at the teenagers, 12 to 17, it's about one in 30 young people experiencing homelessness. Those are kind of startling statistics. Do you and your, your cohorts find that there are specific factors that are contributing or especially in recent years? Have there have there been any changes that have sort of made the need for Huckleberry House and services like it so necessary? Well, as we know, there's a huge affordable housing crisis happening in our region. Um, so for young people, if you think of an 18 to 24 year old, trying to um, find affordable housing, a place to rent, that's nearly impossible. Um, You know, as much as we hope it wouldn't happen, we also know that 18 to 24 year olds are not always a landlord's favorite choice as a tenant. They are young and they, um, you know, maybe aren't as easy to house as somebody who has um, more experience living in a community. 
Um, so we know that the affordable housing crisis is definitely impacting the numbers we see in terms of those 18 to 24 year olds. When we talk about younger people experiencing homelessness, so young people who've run away or have been asked by their parents to leave um, before they're 18, that is always a breakdown in family relationships. So um, not always income or housing driven, but more family dynamic driven. Um, you know, we, our goal in the teen crisis shelter is family reunification if it can be done safely. So we rely on a lot of family counseling when young people come to our teen shelter. Of course, uh, that breakdown in family relationships also impacts those 18 to 24 year olds um, who maybe are getting kicked out or have left home, um, you know, sooner than they were ready because their family just can't get along. So uh, we, we see family dynamics and income and just the affordable housing crisis being big factors. Now, you mentioned sort of transitional services for young people that are experiencing crisis or homelessness. Can you tell me a little bit more about, about what those types of services look like? Sure. I love our transitional living program. It is, um, it's an 18 month program and young people live in apartments that we either own or lease. Um, so they're living there rent free for 18 months, um, based on, you know, the contributions of donors and funders, um, some government grants that we have, we're able to house them at no cost to the young person. And in that time, they have a case manager who's helping them with things like booking and budgeting and um, getting the education that they want, um, helping them with uh, vocational endeavors, um, all the things that would, would be happening for an 18 to 24 year old at that stage in their life. They've got someone kind of integrating through their day helping them learn the things that are going to lead to long-term independence and success. Um, about half of the young people we serve have children of their own. So at one of the apartment complexes we own, there are 54 young adults, but we have about 30 little ones from newborn to age eight. So um, we also have a parent mentor on staff and we employ a wellness mentor to be talking about healthy lifestyles and the importance of having a regular doctor in your life um, and just, you know, tips for staying healthy. Um, so we try to, you know, it's, it's a holistic approach to successful living. Um, and we're really happy that since 1990, when we started our transitional living program, 90% of the graduates of our transitional living program remain stably housed one year after they graduate from our program. So not entering back into homelessness, which is wonderful. That is a very impressive statistic. All of this comes with a cost, and that is why Huckleberry House is holding an event. Huckhouse.org is where you can go, first of all, to get all of the information about Huckleberry House and the services that they provide for young people in Central Ohio. Sonia Thiesing is the director, executive director, that is, of Huckleberry House. And coming up on Friday is the annual sleepout event to raise funds to support all of these vital programs and services that Huckleberry House has in the Columbus community. Tell me about the sleepout, Sonia. Well, it's unlike any other fundraising event in Columbus. Uh, the sleepout was especially designed to raise awareness and funds um, to serve homeless youth. Um, awareness is a really big, a really big thing for us. So, uh, you know, homeless young people 
um, try to blend in. They don't want people to think of them um, as, you know, as their housing situation. So um, it's kind of an invisible problem. And by holding the sleep out, we hope to raise awareness and, um, I don't know, broaden awareness of the serious issue in Columbus. So um, on Friday night, we expect somewhere between 60 and 100 people to join us outside COSI on the back plaza. So we have a beautiful view of just our vibrant city lit up at night, um, where unfortunately we know 3,000 young people experience homelessness every year. So we just have um, a big event tent and we, we have a little kickoff program, but the whole point of the night is to sleep outside, not trying to recreate the homelessness experience that our young people um, live through daily, um, but to take our participants kind of out of their comfort zone, give them a chance to be quiet and to reflect on, you know, some of the just, you know, the lack of um, comfort that some people are living with, but also just to just to kind of have a chance to reflect about um, you know, what the young people are experiencing. And for this event, are there age limits? Does someone have to be a certain age to participate? And what does it cost to get involved? Sure. So registration is $40. And that, again, as you said, can be um, can be reached at huckhouse.org. Um, there's a sleep out button right on the homepage. Um, the really cool thing when you register is that you get your own sleep out page. And we ask you to tell your friends about it, tell them what you're doing and why you're doing it on Friday night, why what's making you want to sleep out um, and hopefully raise some funds. So kind of a peer-to-peer -peer request to support Hawk House. Um, in terms of age limit for the for the event, um, we had a family, a mom and dad, who brought two very little ones a few years ago. They were, I think, five and seven years old, and they did just fine, but it was something the family was hoping to experience together. Um, you know, if someone is under 18, we do ask for parental permission. Um, I think once they're under about the age of you know, 14 or 15, we would want an adult to be with them. Of course, of course. What a brilliant idea sort of to bring the awareness that you said needs to be brought as especially these young people who are experiencing homelessness are trying to blend in, trying, you know, not to be noticed. It's important that we as a society recognize this is actually going on. This isn't going away. So we need to support people and organizations that are out there trying to give that hand up to, to folks who find themselves in these circumstances. Huckleberry House, as Sonia said, has been around for many years and will be for many years to come. And with the support of people getting involved in fundraisers like this Friday's Sleep Out, they are able to provide these very vital services in our community. Sonia, is there anything else that we didn't touch on today? Oh, so much, I'm sure. But I think um, that's a great introduction to Huckleberry House and what we're trying to do with the sleep out. Um, you know, really just encourage everybody to look at our website, get to know our programs. There are some great videos and program descriptions. Um, and there are some videos of the past sleep outs and uh, what people might expect if they come out on Friday night. And of course, I would imagine if one is not able to attend the event or participate, they can still make donations online, right? Absolutely. They can make donations online and hopefully get a little taste of what's happening at COSI by following um, our hashtag on social media. So just it's hashtag sleep out Columbus and our participants will be posting 
photos and videos throughout the night. We will keep a lookout for those. And thank you so much, first of all, Sonia, for everything you and your colleagues do to help young people who are in crisis. And thank you for being with us today to share all of this important information. Thank you, Kate. It was great to be with you. It might be hard to imagine, but there's a place where you can find a restaurant on every corner. A place where you can eat like a king for as little as a dollar. It might be hard to imagine, but this is the same place where the school lunches aren't just delicious. They're themed with palate pleasers like mozzarella stick Mondays, taco Tuesdays, and French Fridays. Heck, even pizza counts as a vegetable here. This is a place where the fast food just keeps getting faster. You can even order delivery right from your video game console. And how's the food, you ask? Well, it is to die for. Don't believe us? Just ask the friends and family of the 300,000 who did last year. Welcome to the state of America. Welcome to Obesity USA. Population 115 million and getting bigger by the day. To learn more, go to visitobesity.org. That's visitobesity.org. Brought to you by the Pennington Biomedical Research Foundation. This is a St. Jude moment. Ashton was a high-level athlete. And in a, an instant, your world flips. And your healthy five-year-old competitive cheerleader has a brain tumor. And the physician was like, your best option is St. Jude. Receiving treatment that was life-saving for our child and knowing that that treatment would be of no cost to us was a huge weight lifted. Learn more at stjude.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. a very dark cloud over our beloved country, I have no doubt, nevertheless, that we will make America great again. Former President Donald Trump is defiant in his first speech after being arraigned on criminal charges. He says there's no case against him, but a grand jury and some in his own political party disagree. Thank you so much for joining us for Face the State today. I'm Tracy Townsend. As we reported, Trump pleaded not guilty to 34 felony counts related to hush money payments made prior to the 2016 election. The charges are falsifying business records in the first degree. This morning, we wanted to explore the political fallout and the response. In the next few minutes, you're going to hear from current and former GOP leaders. We start with a current strategist from Ohio who is also an attorney. This is Republican strategist and attorney Mahek Cook. It was shocking to see that there was really nothing in the indictment except for falsifying business records that I feel that the DA copied and pasted 34 times. 
We also asked, from a legal perspective, if this does go to trial, is it possible to find an impartial jury? The right thing to do is change venue to a different state. And then in terms of finding an impartial jury, I think it would be up to the defense attorney and the prosecution involved and the judge to give very specific instructions to a jury in terms of what the alleged crime was and whether Donald Trump was guilty. The Republican reaction is varied, and we're hearing from several current and former Republican lawmakers. Former Ohio Governor John Kasich criticized Trump, saying, quote, there's no way he can go back to the White House. Of course, he's referring to the former president's current campaign. Kasich spoke with MSNBC from Otterbein University. I have fought Trump for a long time, but I'm sad that this has happened. Uh, I don't ever want bad things to happen to anybody. But this is where we are. And I see that people are trying to jump to conclusions about this before we even know what the facts are, which I think is a a big mistake. The other thing that concerns me a great deal is think about all the institutions, Chris, that have been undermined in this country. The Justice Department undermined. The intelligence community undermined. The Congress, its legitimacy, whatever, uh, effectiveness undermined. And now there's, you know, this attack now on the judiciary. And um, I am tremendously concerned about the fact that we have a judicial system created by the founders, uh, grand juries, prosecutors, judges, trials. You know, this is not the time to continue to push to tear this country apart. And people say, well, it's all political. Well, let's let it play out. This is Ohio Republican Congressman Mike Turner of Dayton. The indictment appears incredibly weak as a basis for a legal theory. Uh, there, there is no fraud that has actually uh, been proven here. That's something that they'll have to establish. Uh, but even you know, CNN's legal analysis, that, analysis, and I'm not one, um, in looking at this indictment, say that this is very weak. Um, certainly the, the prosecutor has made statements, uh, and his targeting of President Trump certainly illustrates it, that this is a, a political indictment, not a criminal indictment. We'll have to see how this unfolds. This is former Ohio Republican Congressman Steve Stivers, who is now the president of the Ohio Chamber of Commerce. I'm trying not to watch that stuff, but you can't avoid it. It's uh, it's everywhere, unfortunately. So uh, it's kind of a sad state of American uh, politics, but I believe in our judicial system and, you know, everybody will have their day in court and and a jury and a judge will figure out what they think the truth is. So we'll uh, we'll all stay tuned to that, sadly, and hopefully it'll be over soon because it's kind of a sad history. So here's what happens next. Trump's team has until August 8th to file any motions and the prosecution will respond by September 19th. The judge said he will rule on the motions at the next in-person hearing scheduled for December 4th. The race for the White House will continue to pick up speed over the next year. Right now, it's primary season. Ohio's primary election is May 2nd. The Secretary of State's office reports that 67 of Ohio's 88 counties have local candidates and issues on their ballots. Registered voters can vote early in person at their county board of elections. I talked with Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, who says our state is among the nation's leaders in ballot access by providing 199 hours for in-person early voting, adding an additional convenient option for Ohioans to cast their ballot for the upcoming primary. Ohio has four weeks of, of early voting and, of course, four weeks of absentee voting as well. So now's that good reminder to request your absentee ballot. 
And I always tell people, especially in these local elections, a lot of times people say, well, I don't know all the candidates that are running. I may not be informed enough to be a voter. If you if you vote from the comfort of home, you're allowed to cheat on the test. You can take it, take your ballot and sit there, maybe open your laptop or get on your smartphone and look up the candidates and maybe just take 25, 30 minutes to cast your ballot. And when you mail it in, you'll be a truly informed voter. And then uh, one thing we've been reporting is uh, the new voter ID requirements. That's going to be very new for Ohio. No longer can you bring your telephone bill to prove who you are. So can we maybe talk about that? Yeah, and that's actually the poster that's here behind me. But again, for most Ohio voters, it'll be the same experience they've always had. We've checked with our boards of elections statewide, both rural and urban. In Ohio, 98% of voters historically, over the last 25 or 30 years, have brought their state ID or driver's license. So 98% of us are, are already accustomed to that. But if you're part of that small proportion of the population that wants to bring, a, in the past, a, a utility bill, um, or maybe a pay stub or, or a government document that shows your name and address. That used to be the backup plan that some people would use. That's no longer one of the options. And so now you need to have a government-issued photo ID. That means state ID, state driver's license. It means a military or, or veterans administration ID. Also, a passport can work. Now, for those who may not have a photo ID, the Ohio Bureau of Motor Vehicles is now providing a state photo ID free of cost to any Ohioan who wants one. We did ask the state registrar of motor vehicles what Ohioans need to know about this process. For the BMV, the process hasn't changed at all other than at the end of the transaction, you won't be charged a fee. Um, so the do like I said, the documentation uh, requirements are the same. Individuals uh, are required to prove full legal name, date of birth, social security number, legal presence in the state of Ohio, and provide proof of Ohio residency. Um, so that's that, that that process is is staying the same. Um, really, you know, suggest people go to our website if you're you're getting your ID for the first time, uh, bmv.ohio.gov and go to the acceptable documents list, and that'll show you sort of all the different documents you can use uh, to prove those five elements. The registrar says you can get in line, online, and you'll be able to find out how long you'll have to wait. He says Saturday morning is typically one of the busiest times. Now to a major change in Ohio law. Put down the phone or face a citation. The Ohio Department of Transportation put up these signs reminding people distracted driving is now illegal. Drivers will have a six-month grace period before being cited. This morning, we're hearing from more police agencies across the state about upholding this new rule of the road. Ohioans are now required to abide by a new law on the roads. It will be illegal, with just a few exceptions, for any Ohio driver to use or hold an electronic wireless device. While the distracted driving law went into effect, the first citations won't be given out until October. They're going to use this six-month period here. To, to really hone in on what we're looking for. The grace period gives Sergeant Edward Chapman and the Bay Village Police Department time to educate drivers while understanding the law themselves. In order to actually enforce this law, officers have to observe the offense being committed. But there is some concern. It's raising lots of questions. Within the law, there are exceptions where drivers can use their phones to report an emergency. Hold your phone to your ear during a conversation if it started with a single touch or swipe or use your phone at a traffic light. Case Western Reserve University Law School professor Michael Benza says over the next six months, feedback from law enforcement and drivers will be needed. Is the statute doing what we want to do before 
we start imposing criminal liability on people or issuing citations. Cell phones are part of everyday life now, and, there, and there's no way around that. But what we can't do is allow them to become a hindrance or a safety issue while on the road. And putting a stop to distracted driving is a business matter. The Ohio Chamber of Commerce was involved in testifying before Ohio lawmakers about how it would make our state a better and safer place. Chamber President Steve Stivers told me that while the matter may seem to be outside the normal scope of the chamber, members report that they do care and they wanted to be involved in passing this legislation. Yep. We, and the Chamber of Commerce represents the state in which we live. We, we have business members, but they care about our community. And that's why I think they talk to us about distracted driving. And we all know that we all pay probably too much attention to our phones um, but we should not do that when we're driving. Uh, it's hard enough to make sure that you do everything you need to do when you're driving. You shouldn't do it distracted, which isn't always a phone. There are other ways to be distracted while driving, but uh, frankly, uh, phones are a big driver of distracted driving, and we think it's important to get the message out to people that you know it is a primary offense now, and we hope people don't do it. We think it'll make Ohio a safer place and help us all get to our destination safely. And are there plans to do any kind of campaign or will there be sticker? I don't know. I mean, how will we're doing some op-eds and getting some information out in the media and talking about it and uh, talking to our members about it. We're doing some stuff in member education about it too, just to get the word out about it. Cause you know, if it's something that's important enough for our members to care about, it's important enough for us to notify our members and some of our members you know might not know so we have 8000 members and we're going to work sure work to make sure they know and the whole community knows that this is now a primary offense and uh, just another reminder that they should not um they should be focused when driving and not be distracted Fan TV's Tom Tiberi helped push for this legislation as well after losing his daughter Maria to a distracted driving crash. You can sign the pledge to end distracted driving and learn how Dom is connecting to young drivers by logging on to 10tv.com slash Maria's message. Ohio lawmakers are joining the chorus of legislators nationwide wanting to limit teen use of social media. Utah became the first state to limit teenagers' access to social media with a new law requiring parental consent for platforms such as Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. Several other states have similar bills in the works, including Ohio and Arkansas. Cyber bullies, inappropriate material, adults who prey on children, they're all accessible on these platforms just a simple click away. Utah's new law takes effect next March and includes a curfew banning minors from using social media accounts after 1030 at night. Well, you might not think science and reading go together, but... For Governor Mike DeWine, they do. The initiative that sent the state's leader to schools across Ohio. But first, why an Ohio lawmaker's biography might not be what it seems. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. 
Right now, our country feels divided, but there's a place where people are coming together. I gotta tell you, I was nervous to talk to someone so different than me. Me too, but I'm glad we are. Love Has No Labels and One Small Step are helping people with different political views, beliefs, and life experiences come together through conversation, and it feels good. Wow, your story is so... uh, Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) When people actually sit down, talk, and listen to one another, they can break down boundaries and connect as human beings. At lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step, you can listen to amazing, life-changing conversations and find simple tools to start a conversation of your own. I know one thing. This conversation gives me hope. It gives me a lot of hope, too. Take a step toward bringing our country and your community together by having the courage to start a conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. Every two minutes, a woman in the U.S. is diagnosed with breast cancer. And in that split second, her life changes forever. The toll of breast cancer is great. The need to support those who are battling the disease today is even greater. We're fighting alongside patients because we know one moment can change a lifetime. United by hope, we can end breast cancer. Join our fight. Save lives. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. A freshman state lawmaker here in Ohio falsely claimed to have graduated from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. That's according to the university itself. And he has now stepped down from a House committee leadership post. Representative Dave Dobos is a Columbus area Republican. He attended MIT in the 1970s and 80 and studied economics. But a spokesperson says he did not receive a degree. We did reach out to the state rep's office for comment as of late last week. We did not hear back. Justices on the Ohio Supreme Court heard the argument of a woman who was denied the ability to change her birth certificate to match her gender identity. We're following this story with the Ohio Capital Journal. A Clark County resident applied for a change to the sex marker on her birth certificate in October of 2021. The county's probate court decided it, quote, lacked authority end quote, under Ohio law to issue the correction. The case came with support from Trans Ohio and other pro-LGBTQ rights groups, along with the cities of Cincinnati and Columbus. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine is making so-called literacy stops throughout the state. The classroom visits give him and his team an up-close look at how children are learning to read. Just last week, there were several stops, including this one in Northeast Ohio, specifically Warrensville Heights and Akron. The focus here is on phonics, using a curriculum called Science of Reading. It's a method that incorporates phonemic awareness, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension. You may remember it as sounding out words, if you're old school, for example. The governor also visited Southwood Elementary School in Columbus City Schools to talk with the students. The governor is so impressed with the progress schools using this method here in Ohio and across the country are making in boosting reading that science of reading is getting a $113 million boost in the proposed budget for schools to implement this curriculum. We also wanted to look at how do kids learn to read. You know, early childhood development before they go to school is very important, but it's also important what happens once they once they get to school. And if you look at our numbers, they're pretty alarming. Uh, We've got 40% of third graders that are not reading where they should be reading. They're not up to where they should be. Now, that's a a huge number. 
in, in Ohio. And we know that if it, by third grade they're not reading where they should be, it's tough to catch up. There's been a lot of different ways uh, taught to school teachers how do you teach reading. And that's been going on, obviously, for decades and decades. Uh, I'm an old county prosecuting attorney, and uh, we used to say the jury's back. Well, the jury's back, the jury's got a verdict, and the verdict is uh, that the science of reading is the way to teach reading. Uh, for our viewers, uh, you know, think phonics. Think what maybe, depending on how old you are. Uh, if you're my age, you, you certainly had phonics of some sound, sounding the words out, breaking the words down. There was a significant period of time where you had a whole generation that wasn't taught that way. And we had a number of our uh, education schools who were teaching teachers to be teachers who didn't teach them based on, on that that phonics. So what's developed is what's called the science of reading. Um, the, the numbers are, are, are stunning. Um, Mississippi. Mississippi, uh, many times we look at it and say, well, they don't lead in too many things. They were 49th out of 50 states uh, in regard to where their third graders were in regard to reading. Uh, they're now, I think, 29th. How they jump that, how they make that big jump, um, for the last four or five years, they've implemented every single school district, every single uh, school, kindergarten on up, uh, has followed the science of reading. And Fran and I have been out uh, the last several weeks looking at different schools that are really doing a very good job in this area. And when you talk to the teachers, um, boy, they are, they are really convinced that this is the best way to go. And the numbers show that. Some of these schools have dramatically increased uh, reading. Kids who, you know, come from poor, poor families, uh, they come from families that might not have many books in the, in, the, in, the room, in the house. That doesn't mean that poor people don't have books. I don't mean that. But I mean, it, it, kids who, who you would normally expect might have more of a problem. Mm -hmm. And these kids are just, they've just, they've just shot up. Well, it's not fun. There are too many stories of women who have gone into labor and have not come home with their babies. But there is a group of doulas in Ohio working to change that. We'll meet them next. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Hi, I'm Dom Tiberi. Nine years ago, we lost our daughter Maria to a distracted driving accident. To honor her life, we have pledged to educate young people on the dangers of distracted driving. We funded simulators and visited schools to inspire more than 120,000 young drivers to stay safe. Help spread Maria's message in your school. Contact us at mariasmessage at 10tv.com. And remember, distracted driving is dangerous driving. Each year, Ohioans are injured and killed in train car accidents that could have been avoided with properly functioning gates and flashing lights. Facts show that gates and lights together prevent more train car accidents than stop signs or crossbucks alone. How can you help? Approach all crossings with caution and report bad railroad crossings at angelsontrack.org. That's angelsontrack.org. Because bad crossings kill good drivers. Sponsored by Angels on Track, aired by OAB and this station. 
This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Taxes. If you've procrastinated, the IRS has a few tips to avoid math errors and incorrect calculations. Use tax preparation software. And keep in mind, the IRS says the filing season will be a bit easier this year than last. A lot of the things like the stimulus payments and the advanced child tax credits, we don't have those this year. Those existed in prior years. 2022 looks a lot more like 2019. Infant mortality remains a major concern for our state, and so do disparities. The Center for Community Solutions used data from the Ohio Department of Health. Some of the highest levels of infant mortality are in Hardin County, Morgan County, Scioto County, Cuyahoga County, and Lucas County. Maya May from our sister station, WTOL, explains how one group is looking to protect the smallest Ohioans. Anita Foreman created a network of doulas in Toledo to combat the high infant mortality rates in Lucas County. To date, we have trained 24 individuals to become full-spectrum doulas in Northwest Ohio. We are the largest um, black-owned, woman-owned team of doulas here. So we're really excited about that. Foreman says her business, Doula Experience, goes into homes and hospitals, advocating for families who are often ignored. Our team, in the way of advocating, we allow, we uplift our clients' voice and we empower them to use their voice when they're going to their appointments. Sometimes we just need an extra layer of support, and that's what doulas um, provide. And Foreman is using her voice at the Ohio State House in Columbus, alongside State Senator Paula Hicks Hudson. Statistically, we know that maternal health and infant mortality is at an alarming rate in the state of Ohio. The Ohio Department of Health reports nationally the infant mortality rate is 5.44, and here in Lucas County, that number is much higher, 9. There are too many stories of women who have gone into labor and have not come home with their babies. Um, because they did not have the, uh, the help that they needed. Foreman and Hicks Hudson say it's important for the community to stand together to create improvements in the medical field, and they both plan to continue to push for doula services. Within some of the agencies now, I do feel like we're being heard and our clients are being supported a lot more. Um, but it's, it's been a road. It's been a fight. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a journey. So we're excited about where we are at now in our, in our agency, in our team, and with our clients. And that was Maya May reporting. There are resources right here in Columbus through what's called Celebrate One. It's a nonprofit where the focus is on reducing the infant mortality rate, premature births, and eliminating sleep-related deaths. You can learn more by calling 614 645 3111. And with that, we certainly thank you for spending part of your Sunday with us here on Face the State. We wish you a safe week. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Still to come on Columbus Perspective, the importance of blood donations, and I'll talk with a heart transplant recipient. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. <sighs> hey. <laughs> 
pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to start a band. <laughs> I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. <laughs> Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Need to visit the Ohio BMV? Go online first. It could save you a trip. It's now easier and more convenient than ever to get what you need from the BMV online. Need to renew your driver's license? Renew online. And if you need to renew your vehicle registration, visit one of our new BMV Express kiosks or go online. If you do need to visit a BMV agency, use the Get In Line online tool, also found on the website, to save your spot and minimize your time waiting. For more services available online, check out bmv.ohio.gov. I'm a wife and the mother of two kids, and I've got a good job. Bye, Mom. See you, Mom. A pretty important job. Because of my family and my job, I really care about this neighborhood. It's a good neighborhood. Yes, there's some crime. And when I drive to work, like now, I realize that some people here don't trust the police. So the police should be reaching out to this community. And this community should reach out to the police. That's the way to make this a safer place. And when I get to work in the precinct house and put on my uniform, I can tell you as a police officer that this department is reaching out to the community. And the community is doing its part. We're building partnerships. This should be happening everywhere. This is how we can all be safer. Get involved. Start the conversation. Start the conversation and help stop crime. To learn the five things you can do, go to ncpc.org slash preventviolentcrime. A message from the National Crime Prevention Council and the Bureau of Justice Assistance. When times get dark, we can't see the help that's all around us. Maybe you're not sure how you'll make rent. Or you lost your job. When you don't know where to turn, let 211 be your guiding light. Our guides are ready to connect you with the help you need. 211, how can I help you? Call or visit 211.org. 211, get connected, get help. A message from United Way and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and on the phone with me is Danielle Falconer, who is the Area Vice President and Director of Donor Services at Versity Blood Center of Ohio. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us about Versity. So Versity Blood Center of Ohio is a part of a larger organization with our headquarters in um, Wisconsin, and we are the sole blood supplier to OSU Wexner Medical Center. And so um, we are trying to make sure that all those blood recipients receive blood from us, and that includes with um, those who receive organ transplants. Okay, this is uh, Donate Life Month, so there's kind of a focus on organ donations, which obviously blood donations play a big part of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, organ donors and organ recipients both require several units of blood as as a part of their procedure, and so it's important that we get blood donors in the door because each organ donation can take anywhere from 1 to 20 units. So it's really important that we have enough blood on our shelves. You know, it's interesting because on your website, I live in Gahanna, so I typed in my zip code and uh, I put a couple of just as random dates. 
from Sunday, April 23rd to May 14th, within 15 miles of Gahanna, just to see how many opportunities to give blood there are. And 17 came up, so then I put in Grove City, and 12 came up. So there's lots of opportunities for folks to give blood. Yes, absolutely. And we also have a location, a donor center in the in Hilliard at Mill Run, where people can come in and donate at our center. And we're open four days a week. So um, if they wanted to do that, have that as an option as well, it's there. What holds people back from giving blood if they if they consider it and then decide they don't want to do it? You know, I think it's a little bit of the fear factor. You know, a lot of people are afraid of needles or they are afraid of having reactions. They just assume that they can't handle the process. When it, we have highly skilled um, phlebotomists that know how to make sure that this is as painless as possible and they can reassure donors and, you know, calm them down and really take care of them. So. We have a great team that will support, you know, the pro- them through the process. And I think that people just assume that it's just a scary process. And after you give blood, you don't really feel any different, correct? That's correct. You can go on about your day and, and enjoy your life knowing that you saved up to three lives. And are there any COVID restrictions or any changes that are still in place as a result of the pandemic? No, there isn't. You just have to feel... Um, healthy upon on the day of donation, and you'll you'll be eligible. Okay, so in general, what you're you're checking people's temperature, maybe, and they're do you check their blood pressure or anything else before they give blood? Yes, we check their temperature, blood pressure, and their hemoglobin, and we also go through a medical history screen to make sure that you know they are healthy and well to donate. Okay, and then uh, how often can you give blood, and what are some of the other restrictions, such as age and that kind of thing? Yeah, so you can give blood, whole blood every 56 days, so that's pretty much every other month. And then for platelets, you can give every two weeks. And then if you were to give um, what we call a double red, which is um, doing two red cells, then you can give every 16 weeks. And we do not have any um, age restriction on, on the upper end for blood donation. If you are 16, you do need parental consent. Um, and then 17 and above can donate without parental consent. Okay, so if you're 80 years old, your blood's still good. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so uh, we mentioned that some people may have misgivings or fears about doing it, but you've got people at the other end who've been doing it for much of their lives. Yes. Absolutely. We have a lot of loyal donors, and we want to make sure that we can get the next generation, the younger generation, in to become loyal donors so we can make sure our inventory levels stay flush. How difficult was it during the pandemic to, to keep the blood supply up in central Ohio? You know, um, we were new to the market, so um, when we in Ohio, you know, we were still working on brand awareness and getting um, our names out there. So we had a different challenge outside of just being COVID. Um, but, you know, across our uh, footprint, you know, people were really, you know, trying to get out there and donate blood to support the needs of others that were that were sick. So people really, you know, stepped up and gave blood. Yeah, that was a, a really difficult time, very complicated time all the way around. Absolutely. Talking with Danielle Falconer. She's the area vice president and director of donor services at Versity Blood Center of Ohio. Anything else you'd like to add? Um, yeah, just 
you know, sign up today. You can go to versity.org and you can sign up for, for a blood donation. And to your point, you can come to our blood donation center at Mill Run. That's at uh, 3830 Fishingburg Boulevard in Hilliard. Or you can um, go to any of our mobile locations in the area. Great. Danielle, thanks so much for your time and the information today. Thank you. As she mentioned, Versity collects blood that is used at the Wexner Medical Center. And next, I'll talk with a man who got a heart transplant at the Wexner Medical Center, getting that donated blood to help him get through the operation. We have the world at our fingertips. Inspiration in our touch and power in our hands. Right here in our hands. We have the power to save a life. If you see a teen or adult suddenly collapse, call 911 and push hard and fast in the center of the chest. The power is in your hands. Anthem Foundation is the proud national supporter of the American Heart Association's hands-only CPR campaign. Unused prescription opioid pain medicines can spell trouble. Safely dispose of opioids before they can hurt your family. Find a drug take-back option such as medicine drop boxes. Visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and I'm joined on the phone today by Mr. John Gray of uh, Asheville, just south of Columbus. He received a, a heart transplant at the OSU Wexner Medical Center back in October of 2020. How are you? I am doing good. That's good. That's an important question. <laughs> That's good. Doing great. Yeah. This is a fascinating topic. Uh, so you uh, are 67 years old. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? I'll be 67 this year. Okay. Back in 2020, I had some bad news. The... Uh, Heart clinic advised me that there was nothing more they could do for me, and the only option was a heart transplant. So I thought about it, and the more I thought about it, I said, yes, we can go ahead with that. And uh, lucky me, in three and a half months, they had a uh, donor for me, and on October the 28th, they proceeded to uh, do a heart transplant. And with that, I had to have uh, plasma. I had to have donated blood as well. And without that donated blood, I I wouldn't be able to have that transplant. Wow. So that was a real whirlwind for you to find that out and then have the transplant just a few months later. Right. Well, I've, been, I've had heart uh, congestive heart failure since um, 2009. Wow. So as that time approached, did you kind of feel like that was at some point going to be the inevitable word you would get that a, that you would either have to have a transplant or suffer the consequences or what? Yeah, yeah that was uh, one of those situations. I had a pacemaker for nine years, and then 2018 they put a pacemaker defibrillator in me, and that didn't go so well. I got hit three or four times with that, and... That's when I ended up going to the uh, clinic, and they advised me there was nothing else to do, and that kind of turns your world upside down a little bit, quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. It's a different world to live that way, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Now I'm doing several things that I couldn't do before, uh, mowing my own grass, I'm doing my own weed eating, going up and down steps again. Wow. Uh, there toward the end, I was in pretty bad shape before it was put in. I mean, I 
barely could get off the couch to go to the bathroom. I was out of breath, was holding water, in and out of the hospital, and uh, with that organ donor, and I tell you, I wouldn't be here today. It's like, I mean, I don't know what more I could say is, you know, I've been blessed and got a second chance of life, and I'm living it a lot better than what I did my other. That's just amazing. So after the surgery, when you're laying in the hospital bed and you first come out of the anesthesia, I'm sure that there was a lot of pain and and it was just a a difficult time. But when did you first begin to feel like this is making me better? Well, at first, I really didn't didn't know much of anything. I was um, I thought I was dying when I came to. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I was going to make it. But uh, once they got the tubes out and after a week in ICU and a week in step down, I started started realizing I've got a new heart and it's working. Seems to be working fine. They got me up walking, and that was the most important thing. And then um, I had two weeks of uh, therapy at uh, Dot Hall, and I'll tell you what, them people over there, they work you over. They, they get you up, and you know, I pretty much had to learn to eat, learn to walk. I couldn't get out of bed there for a while. My feet felt like they were concrete block. I couldn't move them. I mean, it's, it was a difficult time. The only really pain I had was when I uh, sneezed. Hmm. Um, they give you a pillow to put, put across your chest, and I couldn't get to that pillow, buddy. I felt it. <laughs> it was something. Wow. Talking with John Gray from Asheville, he's a heart transplant recipient. I guess before a surgery like that, you talk to like a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist and everything, I, I, from what I understand, to make sure you're ready mentally to handle something like that, right? I didn't have much time for all that. They did run a lot of tests on me mm-hmm. prior to it to, to prep me for transplant. Um, I was very, very amazed how OSU Ross Hart did. The, the doctors, the staff, the nurses, the PCA, PCAs, PCAs there, they were all great. I wouldn't go to any other hospital but there. I Did, don't care. Does it make you feel strange? How, how do you uh, reconcile in your head that you've got a heart that belonged to somebody else inside you? It is It's very difficult at times because... It's hard to believe that I do have somebody else that's hard in, in my chest and that I'm breathing and they're not. I mean, that's that's a tough situation. You know, it, it, it's hard to handle at times, but I am very grateful that somebody donated, and uh, I'm just glad to be here. And that is an important distinction is that whoever that person was, that was a conscious decision for them to do that, if that ever became a possibility. Correct. Yeah. I'm a donor myself. It's easy to donate. I've got a friend of mine that's uh, in bad shape right now, and they're holding blood drive for him. He has cancer, and it's tough. They, They need that blood, and people need to donate as well as organs, too. So, John, uh, going through uh, your life with with the heart difficulties that you had as your life went on, what kind of advice would you give to somebody younger who doesn't have that problem right now? Based on your situation, what sort of ailments or symptoms should they be watching for, that kind of thing? Very tired, sleepy, not having any 
energy, and most of all, check with your doctor when you start having any kind of sign of chest pain, uh, fatigue, tiredness. I mean, that's all you could really do is just take care of your body, listen to your body. I would imagine that right now, while you're two and a half years into your uh, transplant, that you are right now in like the very prime, the best part of your health following that, right? Correct. I've had two rejections, uh, which was last year, and that was due to my medication that got that straightened around. Um, I've had several biops of the heart where they go in through your neck. It's like a pick. They go into your neck, run your wire down into your heart, take a piece of your sample of the heart, and then have that lab check to see if you have any rejection or anything like that. Right. So what's your take on life now, you know, compared to, say, 10 years ago? Um, I would say from 10 years ago, I, I would have a different approach on life. Totally. I see, I see life a lot better. It's a wonderful story. Obviously, as you mentioned before, uh, giving blood is a big part of what can make uh, organ donations possible. What would you say to that? I would say donate blood so people like me and others could have a chance to have that second chance of life. People with cancer, they definitely need the blood. There's not enough donation for that certain types of blood. And they really need it bad. Talking with John Gray from Asheville, he received a heart transplant at the Wexner Medical Center in October of 2020. That was right in the middle of the pandemic. Did that throw anything off during all that? Yeah, it did a little bit. I had uh, COVID myself. I was uh, asymptomatic that Father's Day of that year. And they found it when when I was hospitalized because I had a lot of fluid around my heart. And I was holding water, and they had to drain the water off of me. And that, at that time, they found that I had COVID myself. Wow. So that's that's interesting, too, then, because you certainly, with congestive heart failure and in need of a heart transplant, getting COVID, and yet you survived it. That You were lucky I there. Survived it. Yep. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Very lucky. Yeah. John, uh, anything else you'd like to add? The only other thing I'd like to add is... Um, a good friend of mine, we're having a um, blood drive donation here in Asheville at the Zion Church on Plum Street on April the 22nd from 9 to 4 in honor of Mike Spriggs, which currently is, uh, he has cancer and he, he is in need of blood. Okay, give us the particulars on that again. Uh, it's at the Zion Church in Asheville on Plum Street. April the 22nd from 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. in the basement of the church. Okay. John, uh, so good to talk to you. I'm glad you're doing well, and uh, and I hope things continue to go well for you. I thank you very much, and I hope, uh, hope things get good for me also. I just had my last checkup, and uh, everything looks great. I won't have to go back until October. Wow. See, there you go. Now you got a whole summer ahead of you. Yes, I do, and I'm going to enjoy it. You you probably enjoy weeds more than just about anybody you know now, don't you? (laughs) Yes, I do. Spending time with my grandchildren and doing my own yard work and working in the garage, that's, that's my life. 
That's fantastic. John Gray again from Asheville. Thanks so much for your time today, John. Thank you, Dave, and I appreciate you guys having me. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.